had enough of the been there, done that ideas, tired of too much talk and so little action. Rewind now and welcome to Transformation and Change Radio with Dr. Kathy O'Bear, where the vision of true equity, inclusion, courage, and purpose meet powerfully. Dr. Kathy delivers with dynamic, engaging conversation and the most authentically brave dialogue on air today. This hit show will challenge you to explore current issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion and deepen your capacity to choose courage to speak up to greater inclusion in everything you do. Fasten your seatbelts and accelerate your effectiveness to become a powerful change agent in your life, community, job, and society. Imagine true equity and inclusion and get the tools to really manifest your vision. No frills, no fluff, just really powerful, good stuff. Transformation and Change Radio starts now. Hello, I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear, the Center for Transformation and Change. So glad you joined me for part two out of four of my series of insights from senior diversity officers, how to keep equity inclusion focus in this pandemic and beyond. And I could not be more excited than to welcome Dr. Michelle Lloyd Page from Calvin University. Thank you for joining. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a pleasure to be here. I'm excited about this. I can't imagine, actually I do know, because usually a couple times a week you're on Community Connections and I hear some of all that you and other senior university officers are juggling. You're officially Executive Associate to the President for Diversity and Inclusion, Calvin University in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I hope spring is beginning to come. And it snowed today. (laughs) Well, we met maybe what three, four weeks ago. You were, you came and joined one of my community connections that I do Tuesdays and Fridays, just holding space for people to come and talk about how are you. What are you doing around equity inclusion? And you so impressed me with your uh, honest sharing and vulnerability. You've got other folks connecting in and then you had so many practical pertinent strategies that the top leaders are doing at your university with an equity inclusion lens to make sure we're not leaving more folks behind and shifting practices actually that you're realizing, ooh, there was a gap, let's change it now moving forward. So. Mm But then I read, you know, your faculty on sociology, social work historically, chair of the Coalition of Christian Colleges and University Commission for Diversity and Equity. Woo, inclusion. Yes. (laughs) Then you have your own consulting business. I'm getting tired just thinking about your life. (laughs) Lloyd Page and Associates, which you'll talk about later, I know. And then really got my attention, which we may not get to, but preach sister. Yeah, you got it right with the urban accent, yes. Lots of coaching and confronting a nonprofit supporting women in ministry. And I just am so excited to welcome you to Transformation Change Radio. Would you mind just saying hello and a little more about yourself and just how you're doing these days? Yeah, I am Michelle Lloyd Page, as you said, and I have... Um, I work at Calvin University as the executive associate to the president for diversity and inclusion before, and my whole academic career outside of graduate school has been at Calvin College, now university. So I started there as a adjunct professor, um, and then I became a tenured professor, then dean for multicultural affairs, working out of the provost office, and now working out of the president's office as the executive associate that's overseeing 
um, the strategic diversity and inclusion initiatives. But if you would have asked me on, and I'm also a graduate of Calvin, if you would have asked me on the day that I graduated from Calvin, would I ever step foot back on that campus? I I probably would have had some really colorful language. No, <laughs> I will not. I will not be back. But um, as a person of faith, um, trusting where God leads me, um, and just leaving myself open to the possibilities. And um, surprising to me, my first job at Calvin was for three weeks teaching a January interim in 1985. Um, a former professor asked if I would come and teach on my dissertation topic. And um, I live 45 miles away from my campus and no one in my community had that, that I knew of had ever done a dissertation. And here I was away from Purdue trying to figure out how to do this thing. I was ABD, um, newly married. And I thought, hmm, housework or go to work at Calvin where I know people have completed their dissertation and maybe I can get some insight and just some encouragement and some coaching on how to do that. That was for three weeks. That was that contract. That was January 1985 and I'm still there. Wow. Well, that either says a lot about how people responded to your consistent questioning, wondering to go from I'm never stepping back here to all these years of helping them create a truly inclusive around all issues, particularly race. So I can't wait to hear more. Yeah, you know, there were, there have been times definitely along the way that um, I was looking to leave. Um, there was one point in particular, I went to a leadership development um, retreat on an institute and I went there kicking and screaming. I didn't want to go. It was supposed to be for up and comers. And I was thinking, I've been there, done there, bought the t-shirt. I could probably write the book if I had the time, right? Didn't want to go. But that for the first evening, there was this activity because this was a institute to encourage um, younger people of color to envision themselves in executive leadership within Christian higher education. And so in that first evening, that the, the task was to, where do you want to be in, in 10 years? What, what's your future going to be like? And I remember sitting there and I wrote, I want to retire from Calvin, not bitter and broken. And I thought that this is not good. <laughs> this, this, this is not good. This is not healthy. Everybody else was, I want to be a president. I want to be a vice president. I want to be provost. And I was like, no, I, I just, I, I don't want to be there anymore. And I was, you know, a, a, and I don't know what this is going to tell you about myself, but one of the reasons I had stuck it out in the beginning for so long, because we have a tradition of um, putting the portraits of retired faculty on their department office walls, right? So you have the main office and then you would have the portraits of everyone who has retired. Um, and for so many, many years, not one person of color had their picture up on the wall at Calvin, not one. Faculty had come, they had left, but no one had, reti no one had retired. And you know, there was a point, it's like, I'm not, I'm not leaving. My picture is gonna go up on the wall. I have put too much into this. My picture is gonna go up on the wall. But at that retreat, that institute, when I had wrote, I don't wanna leave bitter or broken, I said, you know what? I don't have to retire from Calvin. I can leave. 
And when I left, I started working on my CV. I looked for where the gaps were, um, looked at job postings. What do I want to do? What would I imagine myself doing? Um, and started um, doing some personal development, some professional development so that I would be ready to leave when I felt the release to leave. And the only reason I did not leave because I, I had my CV ready, I had job postings ready to go. We did a new search for a then college president and the, the search was a closed search. And I was like, here we go. This is just gonna be more of what we had before. I don't trust it. But I had a colleague who was on the search committee and she said, Michelle, I can't tell you who we're talking to, but I can tell you if you just hang in there, if we can get the person we want to have, you're going to be so happy. And I was like, yeah, I believe that when I, when I see it. And then the person came in um, and when the person was revealed who it was, I didn't know who the person was, but they had a dinner um, just to introduce him to the faculty. Um, and I was at that dinner, you know, this was all the faculty that was there and he was taking Q and A's at the end and he didn't say anything about diversity through this you know this presentation so i said you know i ain't got nothing to lose because i'm on my way out of here anyway so um i'm gonna ask a question and i got in line and it was my turn i said what can you tell me that will convince me that diversity and inclusion isn't going to drop off the table as soon as you take office what 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 can you what can you tell me right um and he heard that. He said, you know, I'm so glad you asked that question because I wanted an opportunity. I was looking for a way to talk about diversity and my vision for it and my hopes for it for this for this campus. Um, and he was then he started talking about the things that he was reading, critical race theory, started saying he knew that he was um, that he is a white male and that he has blindness, he has privilege, and that's why he plans to surround himself with people to help make sure that he's not missing things. And, you know, he had me at critical race theory, right? A former president probably would have choked on the words, but here he was saying critical race theory that he knows about anti-racism, and this is something that he's trying to mitigate and help himself develop. But so that, that was enough, but when it was over, you know, I had sat down was all over. He ran up behind me and he tapped me on the shoulder. He says, did I answer your questions? Do you have any, any other questions? Because um, I really want to make sure that I'm coming, coming across clearly. And if there's something that, you know, um, you just need to need to know more about, please, I, I want to be able to convey that. And I was like, this person actually wants to know what I think. Mm. And I was like, okay. And then my, my tune changed that instead of, okay, I'm on my way out of here. It was like, well, let me just see, let me, let me hang around. Let me give it another year or two and just see if, if this is all talk or if he's for real. Um, and he was for real. And in that moment, I had no idea um, because this position that I hold now did not exist. Um, he created this position and when the conversation was going on about creating this position, now he was talking to me because I was the most senior person of color on campus at the time. And, you know, I was giving him my insight, my feedback, never dreaming that I would have this position. In fact, um, when I had that 
the conversation with him about this position, I went in fully prepared to recommend someone else and I did. I, I came in with the list of why it should not be me um, and why it should be someone else, one of my colleagues. Um, and he let me speak, he listened, did it, mm -hmm. and then at the end he said, I hear what you're saying, but I want you to, I want you to do this on an interim basis. Um, and that was with the understanding that I would do it on an interim basis. And then once we got it established, what it was gonna look like, we would do a national search and that I would be able to apply for, um, for the national search. And I did. And so here I am. <laughs> well, I love your powerful stories and the impact so many, but one is I bet any person of color in higher ed or any other organization in this pandemic can so relate in to how they might be feeling now. Some folks four to six weeks in reflecting, what am I doing here? Is this really meeting oh, yeah. my needs? And looking to leadership to say, show me, mm -hmm. or I've got my CV ready. So can you talk about, particularly at Calvin and any other places without naming names necessarily, but yeah. what are senior leaders doing now in this pandemic that is truly keeping equity inclusion and particularly racial justice. Because as yeah. I look at Calvin, you all center that in ways I do not see it in many organizations yeah. that are predominantly white. But what have the senior leaders been doing? What's it been like to be a senior leader? And what has especially your role been to keep equity inclusion, racial justice on the screen? Because tell me I'm wrong, crisis management, enrollment drops. Oh, yes. Yeah. How do we keep it on when many want to say, oh, yeah. we're finally done with it. Can't we just get to the back to the business yeah. of the organization? So, whew. yeah, one of the things that um, as part of my portfolio, as a part of my work, I meet monthly, individually, one on one with all the other cabinet members. And there are now 11 cabinet members. Um, I'm the only person of color, but five of the 11 are female, um, which is which is great. Um, but I meet monthly with them one-on-one -on -one to um, be a mentor or guide in their own development of cultural intelligence, cultural competency, as well as to be a sounding board um, and, and advice giver for any issues that might be developing um, before they become an issue within their departments, right? So I already had that relationship of meeting with each of them monthly and I provide a curriculum for them, things that we're going to talk about. We most recently, um, in the fall, coming into the earlier part of this year, read the book um, together, Bias by Jennifer Eberhardt. Um, so we read that together, talking about it. Um, when this became a thing, COVID-19 became a thing, um, Damon Williams from the National Inclusive Excellence Leadership Academy um, produced a guide, a framework for DEI work and with, within the COVID-19 crisis, 30 some pages, there's providing it free. I, I took that and that became required reading for every cabinet member and a conversation with me was required as well, right? So, so that's one way of doing it. And then they were all encouraged to share it with their teams. And as I have been talking with them, they have been sharing it with their leadership team. Um, the VP the um, for um, information and technology, we are we are talking about developing that into a separate um, development opportunity for his whole division. Um, I hosted a virtual training on the framework, and um, what 
45 people showed up for the training for the first week. The second week, which was a repeat, there's about 20 people who were who tuned in for that training. And so it is becoming a part of the conversation. And the way I've been pitching it is that this is good, not only for the crisis that we're in, but the questions that are in there are going to be good for the conversations about how do we reopen? How do we, as we are planning the new normal, we have to keep this focus. The other thing that is helpful for us at Calvin is that the framework that I use for guiding our efforts is an inclusive excellence framework. And with an inclusive excellence framework, diversity inclusion is tied to the mission of the university. And so we can't, we can't be an excellent educational institution if we are not paying attention to diversity and inclusion. And so that is a part of the language that we use. And what undergirds that inclusive excellence um, framework, we have a document that's called From Every Nation. And that From Every Nation document is an anti-racist mm. document that's taking an anti-racist lens to the work that we do, to the goals. Um, it's a very honest look at some of the barriers that have historically been in place. Um, it ties this work of anti-racism, which is looking at the structural dimension and removing those barriers. It ties this to, for us, a biblical mandate because we are a Christian organization and says, we do this because we are believers. We do this because the Bible isn't just about kumbaya, let's all come together, but it's about speaking truth to power. It's about taking down the barriers. It's about justice. It's about hope. It's about reconciliation. This is why we do this work. So some of the listeners, <laughs> when they may have, when they first heard or read that you were from a Christian college, <clears throat> may have had all kinds of stereotypes <laughs> that are related to how some folks who claim to be Christian are showing up individually and organizationally yeah. while some colleges that purport to be Christian. So when I read this racial justice, anti-racist grounding, you are farther ahead than many secular, oh, non-white organizations that want to recruit and retain students mm -hmm. of color, faculty of color, particularly international students, particularly yeah. white and of color for the financial boost. Mm -hmm. But when we start talking about dismantling racism in the organizations, holding white leaders accountable for developing their capacity and competency to create greater racial equity, Mm -hmm. that's where the resistance hits. So what recommendations or specific ways are you keeping a race lens while people are scared, people are running on empty, folks are in adrenaline overload marathon? Yeah. Well, you know, we meet as a, as a cabinet, we meet, now we're down, now we're only meeting three times a week <laughs> in the morning for the check-ins. Uh, we were meeting every day in the morning for the check-ins, but I'm the person in the room and I'm not the only person in the room. I have to say that as well. I am not the only person in the room who's asking these diversity questions. What does it mean when we um, said all of our students um, need to go home or the desire was for all of our students that needed to go home, you know, 13% of our student population is international. And we said, okay, we're going to make this plan. We want to send everyone home. But we are aware that some of our international students and some students, just other students uh, who might live domestically might feel like it's not safe for them to go home. 
So let's ask the question, what is it going to mean if we retain these students on campus? And so we have still have to, I think it, we're down to about 200 students now that are still on campus. How do we care for them well? How do we help to continue to create a sense of belonging? How do we make sure their needs are being met? And so we just keep asking the questions. And, and I think because of the relationship that I have been able to develop with all my team members, there is a sense of trust. Um, and, I, and I can say that one, it's my feeling, and two, it comes up in my performance evaluation as well. When, when my supervisor, the president tells me what the others are saying about me, what they say is that we really appreciate how Michelle creates a path for us to speak our truth. So we can, we can share, they can share honestly what they are afraid of, what they're scared of, what they're nervous about. Um, and I have a, and I can speak to them as well and say, you know, okay, I hear you. Let's unpack that a little bit to see where it comes from. And let's create a let's create a path so that we can get you closer to the place that you want to be. So they're not afraid that I'm going to hit them over the head with the racist club or the sexist club or you horrible person. But it's creating that sense of relationship to be able to speak truth. And one of the things that have helped us to get to that place to um, be honest with ourselves and to say, this is what it this is what it feels like is that we have, we take three retreats annually a year. Mm -hmm. And in these retreats, we do some team building. Um, some of the team building is, is kind of fun. We're, we're, we're going hiking or, or playing pool or something like that. But you know, our retreat that we had in December, and I think I know it was a godsend. Um, we had a retreat facilitator come in and it was taught and she was talking with us about soul care and how do we take care of our soul and invited us all to a very vulnerable place and we all went head in um, so sharing because it had already been a really hard stressful year we had had um, a couple of student deaths mm -hmm. um, unfortunately long-term illnesses where, where they had died so all that was just weighing weighing heavy um, and so we're able to be honest. And I really think that prepared us for the season that we're in now because we, we care well for one another. So on those morning calls, the first question offered by the president is, how are you doing? And it's not just asking, how are you doing? Okay, let's go on. But no, how are you doing? So-and-so, how, how is your mother doing? I know you're, I know you're really concerned. So-and-so, how is your spouse? How, um, for those of you who have um, young children, because a couple of our VPs have young children um, in K through 12, how are you managing um, your work? Because you're working from home, your kids are trying to learn from home. How, you know, what can we do to, to be of assistance? So it's that taking the time to care for one another, I really think um, the first things leaders should be doing in this time is being self-aware about how they are really feeling um, and having places that they can share their feelings with. Because if you're all bottled up with your feelings, um, you're stressed, um, that imposter syndrome comes out. It's like, oh my gosh, people are gonna, now they're really gonna find out that I don't know what I'm doing. No, so we can all be honest. So, you know, we flubbed it. <laughs> we flubbed it, we dropped the ball, or I need help. And we've become very good at saying, I need help. I need, I need help with this. 
And one of the things that um, our president also did from the very beginning of his tenure with us is to move the um, cabinet away from working in silos. We don't work in silos. We see ourselves as stewards of the university. So we work together. You were describing what I for years have been trying to support executive leaders helping develop. So counter the old normal. It's yeah. counter white culture. It's mm -hmm. counter traditional academic, male culture, capitalist, whatever you want to call it. And so my guess is folks are going to want to continue the conversation with you. So we're going to come back from break and continue. But before break, Michelle, could you please let people know how they can get in touch with you in your role and also if they want to bring you to help in their organizations for Lloyd and Associates? How can yeah. you, you can reach me at Calvin University. That's L-O-P-A at calvin.edu. You can reach me on LinkedIn or you can reach me through Lloyd Page and Associates. We have a website. If you put it in, it'll come up, lloydpageassoc.org. And if folks want some other free resources from me, all you have to do is go to drkathyobear.com backslash events, E-V-N-T-S. My book on self-care, lots of worksheets, a webinar on in it for the long haul, particularly for folks doing equity inclusion work who are exhausted and burned out before this pandemic and trying to keep issues on the screen and inclusion lens and decisions and information about my navigating difficult situations course, which I've made free during the pandemic, my design facilitating workshops on equity inclusion. So lots of resources, many free, some upcoming webinars. I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear. You're listening to Transformation and Change Radio with the phenomenal Dr. Michelle Lloyd-Page from Calvin University. We'll be back in just a few moments for some more insights and brilliance. Hey, how's it going? If it's stressful or just plain exhausting, New Light Living is here to ask, is this the way you want to live? Join me, your intuitive spiritual life coach and host, Orika Sullivan, every week on New Light Living. Discover the power of creative tools to start living every day as your ideal dream day. See your life in the new light. To learn more, visit newlightliving.com. The truth is funny. Shift Happens with Colette Marie Steffen is excited to welcome Karen Benton as a monthly guest host. Tune in on the third Wednesday of each month at 8 a.m. Pacific time to regain confidence and trust in your capacity to create change in your life, your health, your family, and your well-being. Karen Benton is a mother, nurse practitioner, certified body talk practitioner, Franklin Method instructor, and owner of Limitless Living, LLC. For more information about Karen, visit karenbenton.com. Your eternal purpose is calling out to you each and every day. Are you listening? Tune in to Dynamic Destiny Radio with Coach Pete Cafarcio every first and third Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn to be your authentic self and live the life that you were destined for. Learn practical tools to discover your purpose and conquer other fears that keep you stuck in a life of mediocrity. Learn more about Coach Pete by visiting PeteCoaching.com. Have you lost a loved one and would desperately love a sign to prove that they are okay? Here's a tip for you. Be curious, keep an open mind about everything. The proof will come from the most unlikely places. The messages promise to challenge your current beliefs and what you've been taught. Accept and appreciate all, no matter where they come from. 
I'm Angie Corbett Kuiper. I would love for you to share your signs from beyond on my closed Facebook page, Beyond Grief. Did you know that all of the shows on the Transformation Radio Network are available as podcasts to stream or download? Really? Check us out. Go to transformationradio.fm. We have business shows, spiritual shows, energy healing shows, and pretty much everything in between. Something for everyone guaranteed to inspire, educate, and transform. We are transforming the world one listener at a time. Break your snooze button habits for good with the Soul Stretching Sisters on the I Am Power Hour with me, Terry J. Walker. And me, Dr. Pat, on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Pump up your spiritual muscle as we share stories. Aspire higher. And live a whole lot larger. To help you unleash your powered up. Pumped up. I am soul stretching success. Anything can happen when we take to the airways. And all things become possible during the I Am Power Hour. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear and just delighted with Dr. Michelle Lloyd-Page from Calvin University. Just phenomenal insights. So we're looking at how do you keep equity inclusion focused during the pandemic and beyond. And Michelle, I'm just sitting with all you said and going, most organizations that bring me as a consultant, an executive coach, do not have leaders that so readily bring up What's the inclusion equity lens? How do we keep racial justice focused, much less supporting the one or two folks of color if they're the only ones bringing it up? So could you, and I know you do this, there's a a mentor and a coach and a leader for other senior diversity officers. What would you recommend to folks if they're looking at their organization, listening to you going, you're much farther along, we're back here around readiness. When they get resistance, when there are particularly white colleagues and senior leaders are saying, we don't have time. We just have to make this quick decision. What would you recommend? What could they do in that moment? Yeah, my recommendations, first of all, is for people to know themselves, really know what are their triggers? What do they want? What fills them up and where are their safe places? So having those spaces to take care of yourself because, and, and a vision that this is for the long haul. This is not going to be a quick fix. That doesn't mean that you have to be the person to carry it for the long haul, but to understand that this is for the long haul. So find ways to take care of yourself, be self-aware, know what is about you. Um, and then you need to know the language of your organization the culture of your organization. Know how does things get done? Mm-hmm. Um, everyone has a bright idea. Oh, you should just do this. You should do this. Yeah. Okay. But that's not how it's done. Mm-hmm. So what are the different layers that you need to go through? Who are some key people who are sympathetic to this? If you don't have access to the most executive level of decision-making, who do you know that does? Um, and can you make inroads in that direction? Then I would say, as you see problems, as you have things that you want to see change, come with the problem, but also come with a possible solution. And a possible solution that is stepped, right? You could start here, then you can go here, then you can go here. One of the things that um, sometimes happens for me when someone asks me to come in to their organization because they're frustrated with what their organization is doing, and they say, Michelle, we need you to come in and we need you to do an anti-racist um, training. And it's like, yeah, I do anti-racist training, but 
tell me about your organization. Have you had anything about diversity? No, it's like, I'm not coming. <laughs> you can't pay me enough. Well, you actually could, it was about a million dollars, but no one's gonna pay me that, right? So, um, but, you know, start with helping people to understand, find out what is it that, where is the resistance coming from? For a while, and I'm talking years ago, you know, 15, 20 years ago, the resistance at Calvin was um, coming from a fear that if we fully embrace diversity, that somehow we would no longer be able to maintain a strong Christian identity. And especially for us, a reformed identity, right? Even though we have all kinds of language, all kinds of church history that's supporting it, there were some leaders in the past, they are no longer at the institution, but there were some leaders who, who saw that if there was an embrace, a full embracing of diversity, that somehow we would start down a slippery slope of becoming no longer a Christian reform institution, we would become a Christian institution, then we would become, we used to be a Christian institution. Academically excellent, but no longer this Christian institution. And so my strategy was to go to the denominational, you know, um, creedal documents, uh, find those biblical passages that say, you know what, actually, this is a part of our Christian identity. So as I could get people used to that idea and not be fearful um, and bring back up again, remember when we talk about creation and we talk about how creation is a part of God's perfect and good work? Um, diversity is a part of that creation. It's not just diversity of plants, it's diversity of people too. And so let's find out what we can do. Um, and then I would encourage people to think about what can you do and focus less on what you can't do? Um, there is so much that we can do. And if you're only focusing on that highest mountain, that hardest thing, you're going to get frustrated. You're going to get burned out. Start with a little hill, work on that. And as people see that they can trust you, that you're not going to flip out on them, that you're a team player, okay, then they trust you a little bit more. You can build up. One of the best pieces of advice that I got when I became the Dean for Multicultural Affairs, which was a position that reported to the provost, because I talked to all the other um, deans and said, how can I be successful in this? What, what do I need to know? You know, I'm following after someone else. What do I need to know? Um, and the best piece of advice that I had is that they said, Michelle, you need to be able to um, be an expert in diversity, but you also need to contribute to the conversations that are not about diversity. So when we're talking about admissions, when we're talking about curriculum, when we're talking about faculty hiring, you need to be able to speak that language too, to, for us to know that you care about this. When And so I would say, you know, be familiar with what are the other issues that are on campus and be able to speak into them as well. So many great ideas, and especially in this pandemic with so much crisis management, having to pivot on a dime, having deep empathy for leaders who have a significant responsibility in one of those often siloed areas. Right. And then you're asking them to have equity inclusion. I love your point about what is the resistance and the source of that. So instead of pushing back, 
really asking what are the concerns what's underneath that and then offering i really hear that so how do we address yeah. the needs you're raising and address this with an inclusion yeah. lens a both hand right a both end right so figure out what is it that people fear what because underneath it people are fearing something what is it that they fear and you know it's those going through those whys right those several levels why okay why okay and why and why and why so you can really get to it. what is it that you really fear and let me help you let me walk with you so that we can unpack that fear meet that fear and let me show you where maybe i'm coming at it a little bit different right because there is a i don't know if you're a star trek person i'm a star trek person right and i love the series where counselor troy was there right um and sometimes i think of my role on cabinet as being counselor troy right when someone on the team or someone in the campus community is like oh my gosh is this what diversity means? Is this what we're going to do? Michelle, tell me, is, is this what we mean? Because I'm freaking out. It's like, okay, what have you heard? Where did it come from? Have you ever heard me say that? No. Okay, let me, let me remind you again about our inclusive excellence framework. Let me remind you again that we're not moving away from our Christian identity. We're not moving away from the core of our mission. And this is how we approach it. And it's like, Oh, okay, I just needed to hear you say it. <laughs> just because, you know, they're looking at other institutions, um, secular, Christian, others, and they're they're hearing something that frightens them. And so I understand the fear. I understand where it comes from. But someone else's fear doesn't have to be our fear. Someone else's method doesn't have to be our method. We're going to stay true to mission. And as we stay true to mission, it means we have to be inclusively excellent. It means we have to do that hard work of addressing structural barriers. Are they gonna change overnight? I wish I had a magic wand. <laughs> I could just wave it and it would all be done. Actually on my desk in my office, I found some um, plastic silver bullets, right? Um, and I have them so I can give them to people say, this is the only silver bullet, only magic bullet you're gonna get. That's it. There are no silver bullets or magic bullets for doing diversity work. It's hard, messy work. And then I also encourage people, it's like, okay, let's find out where your comfort zone with what you want to do and let's push a little more. So you might be comfortable with this, but that's good. We're going to do that, but let's push a little bit more. And if people, and if the response back is not yet, I mean, believe me, I have been at Calvin since 1985. Um, I have, I have seen a lot of things. Um, 2010, I was frustrated enough that I wanted to leave, but I kept my eye on what is it that I want? What is it that the institution, where do I think the institution needs to go? But when I pause to hear, why am I hearing not now? Um, I knew that we would probably need a change in leadership. So we had a change in leadership. And then I, when I kept hearing not not right now i also had to listen for but what are we doing in the midst what are we doing if it's not now um, because not everything that um we do is known to everybody right there are the the side conversations and i don't mean that in a smoking you know smoky back room conversations no this is conversations that we're not ready to release yet because if we release the conversation People's expectations are going to be way up, you know, sky high, 
And the reality is with the negotiation, maybe we get halfway there. And to be okay with, well, you know what? I'm gonna celebrate the halfway point. I'm gonna celebrate the quarter mile, the half mile. I'll celebrate the full mile. And then when we get to the marathon, I'm gonna be cheering the loudest. But we have to be okay with incremental steps as well as pushing. And we can know how to push when we understand where are the fears and speak to those fears that tie diversity and that so that we can tie diversity and inclusion to a much larger campus experience. So powerful. And in this time, I, every leader I've talked to and what I see in the media, every policy practice service is like under a bright light and we're seeing the cracks and the gaps in everything we do, yeah. particularly by class, race, immigration status, food, housing insecurity, keep going. So mm -hmm. could you talk now, could you about 10 minutes, <laughs> What are some of the structural changes y'all have made at Calvin incrementally over the years mm -hmm. that folks might be able to do now? Because in this time of th lots of moving parts and, and I think leaders' attention is we may not have the recruitment and retention we had. <clears throat> so what do we need to do with a race class lens particularly so that we have a culture climate. So what were some of the ways you've done and anything you're thinking about structural changes? Yeah, one of the things that we just, um, I don't know if the word is approved, but we just gave the green light to go ahead and move forward um, just this week is an what we call an immigration charter. Um, and with the immigration charter, it's a cross divisional team from around campus that's zooming in like with microscopic lens on how are we going to be dealing with immigration concerns moving forward, right? 13% of our student body had been um, um, international students, but what do we need to, this group's task is going to be looking in particular, and they were just formed, um, how do we continue to build a sense of connection with any partners that we have abroad? How do we make sure we're tying that in um, with the students that we have on campus? So creating smaller groups that are cross-divisional um, so that you have the diversity of thought and opinion to address that. So this group is made up of people from the alumni office, from the international um, recruitment office, from the international student support office, um, from the advancement division, from the retention committee, right? So it's, it's this cross-divisional and the provost office, right? Because uh, um, to address faculty, so the when the opportunity comes up for faculty to travel um, abroad for the research or whatever, how can we make sure we're making these connections? So um, having char these chartered groups that are cross-divisional have been amazing for us. So one of the ones that I think has been the most impactful um, in recent years has been a retention charter. And out of that, we came out with a point person. I call him the retention czar. That's probably not really his name, um, but a retention committee. And we changed the way that we that we track students who are um, vulnerable to not flourishing. And so we have this team um, of people that are checking in with the students um, to, just to make sure how are you doing? 
And when something pops up, a little red flag, okay, here we're going to send in a team to make sure that we provide the resources necessary for that student to be successful and to flourish. But that came out of, hey, we're noticing a gap. Um, this this um, difference in retention rate is persistent. What are we going to do about it? As a, we moved away from saying, well, retention is everybody's job, right? Everybody can speak into that. It's everybody's job and say, nope, we need to focus on it charter team out of that we have came up with a new model of tracking students of providing support for students uh, wraparound services are now in the um, the um, intercultural student development office so someone from the student support office someone from the retention office um, is there and now we do that virtually right so we took what the lessons that we learned and we do that virtually Drop virtual drop-in sessions we have. Um, our Intercultural Student Development Office is having a virtual drop-in um, sessions. Um, I've developed one for faculty and staff of color just to drop in on Friday, late Friday afternoons. Hey, you just want to drop in, see someone, say hi. You know, we can we can do that. So finding ways to create that community, to work across um, divisions, pulling people in. Um, and asking where are we missing and what can we do about it? So I love that model of cross-divisional and the ones you have, the challenge of if we are online this summer, possibly in the fall, what does that mean? And then challenging every senior leader in your division, what could you do to replicate? Yes. Um, and um, you also did some exciting things around very clear outcomes for citizenship learning outcomes discern yes. and counter racism and other injustices and you also have examples of respectful behavior and disrespectful yes. behaviors that are built in yes. to assuming training yes. supervision and accountability i've been working with organizations yes. for years trying to get them to get closer can you just yes. talk about what how you got your organization <laughs> and to have racism centered along with the yeah. other areas of oppression yeah what so we um so if we look at the past we the past strategic plan ended in um 2019 right so the new strategic plan started 2019 going to 2025 is a six-year plan in that past strategic plan um i oversaw the section for the, the strategic goals for diversity and inclusion. And I took the goals that were from the From Every Nation document, those anti and wove them into that strategic plan. The current strategic plan, um, cultural competency is a key strategy within that plan. Um, and I developed a separate companion plan, a strategic diversity and inclusion action plan that covers the full breadth of diversity and inclusion measures that we're that we're tracking, but um, you know the the things that are relevant, important um, in terms of creating a culture that is welcoming, inclusive, and allows people to flourish. Um, I noted that we didn't have a set of practices or guidelines for what does a respectful workplace look like. Um, what does it? What's examples of disrespective? Um, and because I'm the executive associate to the president for diversity and inclusion, I'm not a VP. I don't have direct reports. I work in an office of one. I have relationships with others. So what I did is I just wrote them up and then I did workshops and people said, 
oh, this is really good. Um, we should weave this into our HR practice. And I was like, yeah, you should. <laughs> so sometimes, and this is something my, um, you know, my, my boss, the president has said from time to time, you know, you all are executive levels. You don't always need permission for me to do stuff. If it's right, if it's in alignment with our mission and our work and our policies, do it. <laughs> right. So there, I know the diff I know those areas where I need permission. And I know those areas, I just need to do it. And if I do it enough and it works out well, people will take notice and they'll want to adopt it. I mean, that's what happened with our um, vision statement, you know, our vision for diversity and inclusion statement, right? I put it together um, and kept using it. I said, if I kept, keep speaking it long enough, maybe it'll be true. I mean, it is, right? It's a part of the language, it's a part of the culture. And again, it wasn't something that, um, how I put it together was drawing on all those things that are significant to our identity, to our mission. It was just language from different places, putting them together and, and no, who could argue with it? No one could argue with it. I love it. Do it and don't ask for permission. You also talked on community connections about you have a group that all bias incidents, whether they rise to the level oh, yes. of harassment or they quote are only quote a microaggression rate. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Because I think many people have siloed and I love that strategy. Yeah. We several, oh, I think it was in 2014 now. I'd, I'd have to go back and look at the exact date. We, um, in redoing, re redeveloping our um, Title IX um, reporting systems, because we said, okay, we got it, we got to do better. Um, and again, I was the person in my raising my hand saying, if we're going to have a system to report sexual harassment, this same system needs to report racial discriminations and, and any other kind of discrimination. And I was always the person raising my hand saying, yeah, but have you thought about this? And so I was a thorn in the side long enough for them to say, yes, we're going to do it. So we call it our safer spaces policy. It's one point of reporting any kind of discrimination, harassment, retaliation, and bias. We say, if you are wondering, is this or isn't this something, report it. Um, and so when it goes through the portal, um, it's reported, and we have mandatory reporters. So if a student were to come into my office and say, you know, I've experiencing something, but I don't want to report it. Um, if it rises to a level of discrimination, harassment, or retaliation as a mandatory reporter, I put it into the system and I can put it into a system as anonymous um, so that we can address the concerns. And, and then again, we do the immediate um, remediation so, so that this person can feel safe in, in what they're reporting. But all things go there. And when it goes into the portal, it immediately goes through to a team of an, uh, coordinators and then the coordinators um, pick a team of investigators and then the team of investigators investigate the situation and then we make th we make that initial determination is this something that's going to be an informal resolution or does it rise to the level of the definition of discrimination harassment or retaliation if it does it goes through the process um, all that information can be found on calvin's website and we're now um, revamping it again. So if they look at it now, it's probably going to look different in about three months once we can take a deep breath because we're just in the process of like, we've had five years with it. We've learned a lot. Let's um, 
improve it. So we're going to have something more, more specific language about how do we address bias? Because that's one of the things that we learned is that some, someone was experiencing a microaggression. Um, it made someone feel uncomfortable. Is it discrimination? Not by the legal definition. Is it something we need to address? Yes. Were we addressing it? Yes. But we just want to have the language on online to support that as well. And as I hear you, my guess is you all already, but other organizations, now that we are online and virtual for not only work, but so mm -hmm. much, if not all of teaching and support services, the biases that will be now happening oh, yeah. virtual and informally that students yeah. might have on social media. And so again, cross representation of an organization university to say, how do we prepare tools, resources, uh -huh. training, for folks and what do you do in the moment when it's virtual? How do you follow yeah. up? Because it's a whole nother skill set that I bet 80% of people don't have. Yeah. I mean, and we we have when we were in person, every year we always had a microaggression training sessions. And so we've made those things available virtually as well. There's so much more we could talk about. <laughs> I'm just hoping that people uh, follow up with you or find you. And I hope maybe you and your president decide to do just some open webinars for the country about what you're doing now and planning in the future, because you are not some of the folks I have worked with historically. As we close, could you just share any final tips you have, especially what are the consequences if we don't keep an equity inclusion lens and then remind people how they can contact you. So just about a moment Final tip. Yeah. yeah, I would say you got it. My tip is you got to have a want to find the want to. You have to want to do this work. Um, this is heart work as well as head work. As soon as you find your want to, you will have the liberty within yourself to pursue it and to do it as well as the passion. The danger, um, if we don't do this, I don't even want to think about it honestly. Um, we will, we will undo decades of the good work that we and the progress that we have made. We'll see greater divisions, divisions that are harder to bridge and divisions that um, we might not see interpersonally as much, but I think we'll see it interpersonally, but definitely structurally and divisionally. We'll see greater disparities between the haves and the have nots, the privileged and the marginalized. It's going to be devastating if we don't keep an eye on this, especially within educational realm. Um, and if people want to have, you know, more of a conversation, they can locate me on LinkedIn. I am the only Michelle R. Lloyd page in the world. So you can do that. And Lloyd is spelled with one L. Um, and so you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me um, at Lloyd page and associates um, online or Lloyd page and associates.org. Um, and then you can contact me at Calvin University. Um, if we're on campus, I say you can find me right across from the president's office but you can contact me at L-O-P-A at calvin.edu. Michelle, thank you so much for your just brilliance, passion, and all your, your ideas of what people could be doing now and preparing for when we come back in the new normal. Because some folks might have heard you and go, oh, we can't do that. Well, actually, there are incredible opportunities to build relationships and do now what maybe there weren't opportunities for in the past. I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear. If you want to get some free resources, know the workshops and webinars I offer, just drkathyobear.com backslash events and just email if you have questions or comments. I hope you join me for my next part three of Inclusion Equity Lens from Diversity Senior Leaders. 
Monday, May 4th, and I'm going to have Dr. Ame Lambert, who is currently the VP of Equity Inclusion from Roger Williams University, and then I'll have one more in mid-May. Again, Michelle, thank you so much, and all the listeners, thank you for the work you're doing. You've been listening to Dr. Kathy O'Bear on Transformation Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in, and be sure to catch us next time as Kathy inspires listeners to become agents of change, motivate, innovate, and speak truth to power. Step into the courageous you that will change the world. Connect to life-changing conversations to extend your reach. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com.